All right, Refuting Calvinism YouTube channel, back with you today, continuing the series of Calvinism versus the early church slash early church fathers. That's whose writings I'll be reading from. And again, the, the issue is not whether the early church fathers' writings is inspired, whether it's the word of God or e equal to the word of God, or whether I'm trusting uh, in the writings of the early church fathers above and beyond the scripture or not testing what they say against the scripture and being a Berean. The issue is this claim I hear all the time from Calvinists that their beliefs known today as Calvinism, um, the, 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 the beliefs behind TULIP, uh, are orthodox and historical and have been believed from, since the beginning. And um, I showed you in the last one that obviously free will was believed universally throughout the early church, uh, even though some will post in the, uh, a comment on a video saying uh, with uh, Ignatius using the word predestinate. And predestinate doesn't always mean what the Calvinists put behind that word. It doesn't always mean, uh, the word predestinate doesn't mean that the definition the Calvinists give it is what it really means when people write that word. So, but I won't get into that now, but today the, the topic is not free will, but it will be, uh, you know, it will involve free will to some degree. It's this issue of what is required for someone to be saved. Um, Calvinists will say that, you know, God does it all for you, monergism, and that uh, God has to regenerate you, uh, and then he'll give you the gift of faith and give you the gift of repentance or grant you repentance, uh, and then you'll trust in, in Jesus who was sacrificed on the cross only for the elect, and, uh, and then you, you persevere to the end automatically because God has chosen you, God has regenerated you, uh, God has irresistibly drawn you, and therefore, because God's doing it all, you will persevere. Otherwise, God's not powerful enough. But let's, I want to see what the early church father had to say about this, uh, so you can see that's what they believed. Uh, so I think I have about eight or nine different fathers uh, that I'm going to read to you from today, with 16 quotes, I believe it is. And uh, I want you to see what they say concerning repentance, holiness, uh, obeying God's commands, etc. Now, let me just say this right off the bat, and I know there's a lot of Calvin there who, who use the verses like, you know, if you love me, you'll obey me. Um, you know, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Yes, you have to live a life of holiness. You have to persevere to the end. Obviously, they believe. Um, but they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They'll say, you have to live holy. They'll say, I sin every day in thought, word, and deed. Uh, it, that's just ridiculous. That's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up with what the, what the Word of God says, and it doesn't line up with what the early church fathers said. So listen for yourself today to see, once again, if Calvinism lines up what the early church fathers wrote and believed and practiced. All right, let's get to the first quote. First one here is from Clement of Rome, who was actually um, uh, probably a disciple of the Apostle Paul. Says right here, and, and about 96 A.D., Clement of Rome uh, says this, or he, he, he writes this. We are justified by our works and not our words. We are justified by our works and not our words. Now, as you read the early church fathers' writings, they're not necessarily saying that the works themselves justify you. Uh, obviously, you're justified by the grace of God. But what is required of the person in order for them to take part in the grace of God, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. Obviously, it can't just be faith, mental assent. Uh, it must include works. It must include obedience to God. That's the point they're making here. And the formula I like to use regarding this issue is, 
You're justified by faith, but your faith is justified by your works. Let me say it again. You are justified by, faith, uh, by grace through faith. That's really a better way to put it. By grace through faith, but your faith is justified or proven true by your works. So if you're sinning every day in thought, word, or deed, um, your faith is dead, it's worthless, and it doesn't, you're not justified by grace or by the blood of Jesus if you have that kind of faith. And that's, what, that's the point they're making here. So let me just go on here. That was Clement of Rome, 96 A.D. Clement of Rome again, 96 A.D. Let us therefore earnestly strive to be found in a number of those that wait for him, in order that we may share in his promised gifts. But how, beloved, will this be done? It will be done only by the following things. If our understanding is fixed by faith towards God, if we earnestly seek the things that are pleasing and acceptable to him, if we do the things that are in harmony with his blameless will, and if we follow the way of truth, casting away from us all unrighteousness and iniquity. Another thing I've, I've heard from Calvinists in some of my videos is that they'll say, like in my Perseverance of the Faith video, a comment one Calvinist made was, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm keeping myself saved. Uh, well, not really, uh, but to a certain degree, I guess you could say that's kind of a derogatory way of saying it, but it's, I'm saying exactly what Clement of Rome is saying here. He's saying that, that, that uh, if we follow the way of truth, casting away from us all unrighteousness and iniquity, we'll be found in him, and we'll be found in the number that is waiting for him, in order that we may sh share in his promised gifts. So, I'm not maintaining my salvation, although I am required uh, to live a holy life. I'm required to use my free will rightly, and if I don't do that, I will fall away from the faith, I will depart from the faith, I will be cut off, as the Bible says. And um, you're all required to do that. And, and if you're not required, then basically you can live whatever way you want and, and you can still be saved, according to those that logic. All right, let's go to uh, Polycarp now. It's written around 135 A.D. Polycarp was, was, was the Bishop of Smyrna, um, appointed by the Apostle John himself to be the Bishop of Smyrna. He died uh, around the age of 87. He was martyred for the faith. And if you read in the book of Revelation, there's you know letters written to seven different churches there. And it says to the angel in most translations of the Bible, to the angel of the church of this. But the word angel, angelos, really just means messenger. So I really think it's talking to the bishop of those churches. And out of those seven churches, only two churches received only commendations uh, for the way they're living their lives. The other five received at least some condemnation for the way they're living, the way they're acting in the world. And one of the churches that didn't receive any condemnation but only received commendation was the church of Smyrna, which Polycarp at that point in time was the bishop of. So that tells you a little bit about Polycarp and his character. Listen to what he said in around 90, uh, 135 A.D. Into this joy, talking about heaven, many persons desire to enter. They know that by grace you are saved, not of works by the will of God through Jesus Christ. But he who raised him up, talking about Jesus, he who raised him up from the dead will raise us up also if we do his will and walk in his commandments and love what he loved, keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness. So for those of you who are sinning every day and thought, word, and deed, uh, you're believing something that doesn't go back to the beginning. doesn't go back to what the early church fathers. This, this guy right here, Polycarp, was a disciple of the Apostle John can't get any better than that unless you go to the Bible. And, then, and what they're saying here, obviously, is lining up with the Bible. That's what I believe it is. But 
Um, so that's what Polycarp had to say. And uh, now we're going to move on to Second uh, Clement, writing around 150 A.D. Therefore, brethren, by doing the will of the Father and keeping the flesh holy and observing the commandments of the Lord, we will obtain eternal life. So you see the requirements there. Uh, and most people, you know, they, they hear Second Clement saying this, or Polycarp or Clement of Rome saying these things, you know, they'll agree with it. And they'll try to find some way to fit into the theology. But if me, a non-Calvinist, were to say something like this, they'd cry out, Work salvation! Work salvation! Heretic! You're going to hell! That's what they would say. If I said the same exact thing that Second Clement says here. So this, this goes against Calvinism, and it, it's obviously not what Calvinists believe. So this is what the early church says. Let's go on to uh, Hermas, writing around 150 A.D. Only those who fear the Lord and keep His commandments have life with God. But as for those who do not keep His commandments, there is no life in them. Man, I'll tell you, these guys must have really read the first epistle John wrote to the church. First John. Uh, and it really makes me wonder if Calvinists even read that book. Uh, I, I mean, I know Martin Luther didn't like the book of James and the book of Hebrews, but I wonder what he thought about the book of First John. The only verse in 1 John that I have ever heard Calvinists quote is 1 John 1.8, and they do that out of context, of course. Uh, but again, we're not going to get into that. Let's, let's go on to another quote from Hermes here, very similar around 150 AD. Life is the possession of all who keep the commandments of the Lord. Life is the possession of all who keep the commandments of the Lord. Does keeping the commandments of the Lord save you? No. The blood of Jesus is what provides the way for you to be forgiven of your past sins, for God not to impute your sins to you. But if you're going to take part in that, if you want pardon as a criminal in the King of Kings universe, you must be willing to obey Him. God is not going to pardon criminals who are going to continue to be criminals. He will only pardon those who sincerely come to Him in faith and repentance and want no longer to sin against Him. All right, let's look at what Justin Martyr had to say around 160 A.D. Each man goes to everlasting punishment or salvation according to the value of his own actions. Listen again. Each man goes to everlasting punishment or salvation according to the value of his actions. That would have went really well with my free will video. I wish I would have had that then. But it goes really good with this video, too, on conditional security. That... Your security, your eternal security is conditional upon certain things. Upon you living a holy life. Upon you keeping the faith. Upon you persevering to the end and being blameless before God. Let's look at one more quote from Justin Martyr. Around the same time, 160 A.D. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. That is, having repented of his sins, he can receive remission of them from God. But this is not as you Jews deceive yourselves and some others who resemble you in this. For they say that even though they remain sinners, the Lord will not impute sin to them because they know God. Listen to this again, this last part. For they say that even though they remain sinners, the Lord will not impute sin to them because they know God. I mean, that's what I like to tell Calvinists all the time because they say they sin every day in thought, word, or deed. 
they, they can't know God. They can't have the life of God. Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says they know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's exactly what Justin Martyr is saying here. All right, let's move on to Melito, writing around 170 A.D. He has set before you all these things and shows you that if you follow after evil, you will be condemned for your evil deeds. But if you follow goodness, you will receive from him abundant good together with immortal life forever. Free will choice there, following evil, following goodness, your choice to make. And what will happen depends on what kind of choice you make. All right, let's move on to uh, Theophilus, around 180 A.D. He says that then, which man brought upon himself through carelessness and disobedience, God now vouchsafes him to him as a gift through his own philanthropy and pity when men obey him. For a man drew death upon himself by disobeying. So by obeying the will of God, he who wants to can procure for himself life everlasting. For God has given us a law and holy commandments, and everyone who keeps them can be saved. And obtaining the resurrection, he can inherit corruption. So whoever keeps the commandments of God can be saved. Does keeping the commandments of God actually save you? Can, can present and future obedience make up for or forgive you of past disobedience? Of course not. But if you're going to be forgiven, if the blood of Jesus is going to be applied to your life, if the, your past sins are going to be forgiven and not imputed to you, you must obey. That's the whole point they're making here and the same point that I like to make uh, all the time. All right, let's go to um, Clement of Alexandria, running around 195 A.D. Choice to, to, depended on the man as being free, but the gift depended on God as the Lord. And he gives to those who are willing are exceedingly earnest and who ask. In this manner, their salvation can become their own, for God does not compel. So in that manner, because they are the one choosing, salvation can become their own. But the fact of the matter, as I said here, but the gift depended on God as Lord. We couldn't force God to send His Son, Jesus Christ. We couldn't force Jesus to endure the, the wrath of sinful men as lawless men took him into their hands and beat him and bruised him and mocked him and scoffed him, nailed him to a Roman cross. Uh, we couldn't make Jesus do that. We couldn't make uh, Jesus uh, provide a way for us to be forgiven and pardoned of our sins. Only God, as a gift, can do that for human beings because none of us deserve it. None of us do and never will deserve it. But uh, we must ask for it. We must be willing, exceedingly earnest, and ask for it. In this manner, salvation can become their own, for God does not compel. Uh, and in that sense, it, it, the word compel there reminds me of Islam. And Islam compels by force. And uh, it seems like you know, Christians are against Muslims compelling other people by force, but they're not against the God of Calvinism compelling sinners by force against their own will to be saved. All right, one more example of Clement of Alexandria, or maybe a couple more here. Uh, around 195 A.D. once again. Into the impure soul, the grace of God finds no entrance. So if you have an impure soul, if you're living in sin, if you're sinning every day in thought, word, or deed, you have an impure soul and the grace of God finds no entrance into your life. 
All right, another one from Clement of Alexandria, 195 A.D. It is the will of God that he who repents of his sins and is obedient to the commandments should be saved. That's around 195 A.D. One more from Clement of Alexandria. Sinners are called enemies of God. <clears throat> enemies, that is, of the commandments they do not obey. In, in contrast, those who obey become friends. The one group of friends are named so from their fellowship. The others from their estrangement, which is the result of free choice. Man, I wish I would have had that one for the free will video too. But hopefully those who watch the free will video watching this one as well can see even more quotes from the literature as follows. But the point of the matter is here is that if you're not going to obey God, you can't be the friend of God. If you're not the friend of God, uh, well, if you're not going to obey God, there's no fellowship with God. Because eternal life is fellowship with God. You know, it often uh, makes me kind of laugh a little bit when someone who believes in perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved, will say something like this. Well, when you sin, your relationship with God has been broken. And that relation needs to be mended by you confessing or repenting of your sins again and, and praying to God for forgiveness. But according to John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing God the Father and the one he has sent. So if that is eternal life and that relationship is broken, you therefore at that point in time don't have eternal life. Uh, you are in danger of dying and going to hell. So if eternal life is a relationship with God the Father and when he has sent Jesus Christ, and that relationship gets broken through your sin, then obviously eternal life has been broken because of your sin. So it just really goes hand in hand, but people don't make the connect, connection like they should. Okay, two more quotes here, both from Origen. Right around, first one around 225 A.D. The Son of God, taking the form of a servant, was made obedient unto death, so that he might teach obedience to those who could not obtain salvation other than by obedience. So one of the reasons Christ came was not just to die on the cross, not just to rise from the grave, but to teach us. And uh, still I wonder if, if the Calvinism is true, and what we needed Christ to do is basically just die on the cross, and obeying the commandments is not important, then why did Jesus even bother teaching? Why didn't he just come and die on a cross? I mean, if, it, if his teachings really aren't that important, or us obeying them is not, a really, it's not a condition of salvation, then he wasted a lot of words. But as Orden says, he came and obeyed even to the point of death to show us the way of salvation. All right, one more quote from Origen. This one around 245 A.D. This is talking about the parable found in Matthew chapter 18, Verse 21 through 35, often called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Okay, here it is. The conclusion of the parable, however, is adapted also to the simpler. For all of us who have, who have obtained the forgiveness of our own sins, but have not forgiven our brethren, are taught at once that we will suffer the lot of the servant who was forgiven, who did not forgive his fellow servant. So, we obtain the forgiveness of sins. We don't forgive the brethren. Forgiveness of sins for ourselves is put away. It's put away. We no longer have forgiveness of sins if we don't forgive others. So there's conditions for salvation. This doesn't work salvation. This isn't a, you know, maintaining your salvation as many Calvinists like to accuse people with my position of doing. Work salvation simply is trying to earn your salvation or doing something that merits salvation for you. But the blood of Jesus, which we cannot merit, which we do not earn, 
Christ giving his life on the cross, which we do not merit, we do not earn. We never deserve the blood of Jesus, or Jesus shedding his blood, shedding his, giving his whole life. We don't deserve those things, never will. And we can't earn those things. That is the basis of which we can be saved, the grounds of salvation, the grace of God. But the conditions are that we live a holy life. We trust in Christ. We follow Him. If those conditions are not met, you will not be saved. So, don't fall into these traps of all these uh, straw man arguments that Calvinists like to levy against people who aren't of the same beliefs as them, that uh, if you believe you can be, lose your salvation, that's a works salvation. Oh, I don't think so. So, as you can see, once again, according to the early church fathers, um, Calvinism is not orthodox. It's not historical. All the early, I read from eight or nine early church fathers today, 16 quotes altogether. Not one of them believes in perseverance of the saints. Not one of them believes in this salvation soteriology that the Calvinism holds to. So, uh, consider these things. Um, look into them for yourself. Look at the references for yourself. You don't believe me, they're saying these things. And uh, above all, be Bereans. Trust the Word of God. See what it says. And follow it and obey it. Uh, whatever you learn from, whatever you understand from it, follow it and obey it. Well, thanks for listening. Um, post some comments at the bottom if you like. Subscribe if you like the videos. And uh, until next time, God bless.